Welcome to the Relationship Diversity Podcast, where we celebrate, question, and explore all aspects of relationship structure diversity, from soloamory to monogamy to polyamory and everything in between, because every relationship is as unique as you are. We'll bust through societal programming to break open and dissect everything we thought we knew about relationships, to ask the challenging but transformational questions, who am I and what do I really want in my relationships? I'm your guide, Carrie Jaroslow, best-selling author, speaker, intuitive, and coach. Join me as we reimagine all that our most intimate relationships can become. Today's episode is part of our conversation series. I'm just one voice in this relationship diversity movement, and it's important to bring more unique perspectives into the conversation. Today, we'll be talking with my good friend, Laura Zam, a sexuality educator, about sexuality and the taboo. There is so much wounding around our sexuality, which contributes to us repressing this primal, innate part of ourselves. We go deep into taboo topics, and she gives us three misconceptions about sex that compound our shame. Stay curious for this one. But first, a little about Laura. She's an award-winning writer and TEDx speaker and the author of the best-selling book, The Pleasure Plan, One Woman's Search for Sexual Healing. She's also a sexuality educator, relationship coach, and certified trauma professional. Other writing appears in the New York Times, Salon, She Knows, and numerous publications. In 2013, Laura's autobiographical one-person play about healing from child sexual abuse was presented off-Broadway. Media outlets that have covered Laura's work include NPR, The Washington Post, PBS, NBC TV, and many others. Laura holds an MFA in creative writing from Brown University, and she loves helping people claim and reclaim sexual health. She does this through private coaching, online courses, public speaking, and university workshops that focus on preventing assault. Let's get into the conversation. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Relationship Diversity podcast with my very good friend, Laura Zam, who is an author and a sexuality educator. Oh my gosh, I love talking about sex. And here's one of the reasons why I love talking about sex is because I was never like this growing up. I was really programmed um I think in for protection, you know, from my brothers and, and, you know, other people in my life that um, it's not okay to talk about sex. And Laura, this is why I'm so happy that you're here, that we're going to dive into where this came from and why sex is taboo and kind of bust through some of those ideas. So welcome, Laura. I am thrilled to be here. <laughs> Yay. So let's talk about, okay. So when I go on your IG, everyone go follow. What's your IG handle? It's Lorazam underscore sex education. Okay. So go follow that because <laughs> there are many times I'm scrolling through Instagram and I come across one of Laura's posts and I have a moment of, oh my 
oh my gosh, I can't believe she's talking about this. I can't believe that you just said that because I think I just have a lot of social conditioning that says like we don't talk openly about sexuality, about our own sexuality, about our sexual desires. And so I think I wanted to start, Laura, with you telling us a little bit about how you got into teaching and writing about sexuality. What what um, was your inspiration for going into this? Sure. So I had a, a completely different career, hmm? which is I've I've basically I've integrated it now. But I was working in the theater for thirty years, and I was creating mostly one person plays. I was a writer and a performer of one-person plays. That's what I did with lots of day jobs. <laughs> mostly teaching, mostly teaching the arts, teaching mm. solo performance, my art form. And I got a commission to write a play. And I learned that I could write about anything that I wanted. And it had already been in my head that I wanted to write about something that I found to be really taboo. And what that was, was my plethora of sex problems. Mm -hmm. I had so many sex problems and they were so intertwined. And it was really imminent for me to address this because I had recently gotten married for the first time at 46. Mm -hmm. And I just felt very broken. Um, and also very, very ill-equipped to deal with my sexual problems because I couldn't disentangle them. I had problems with arousal, with desire, with orgasm. I had sexual trauma. I had different kinds of pelvic pain mm -hmm. manifesting as painful intercourse. I could not understand what was going on. And even to think about addressing this was... Um, so overwhelming because I just felt so much shame. And I just had, I guess for many years, I'd just given myself a label of being broken. And so even the thought of addressing this just felt uh, impossible. And I felt really hopeless and uh, and very ashamed of being broken in this way. But also I felt that I, I felt resigned to it. Hmm. But I got this play commission and I just, you know, I got all tingly like, the way that I <laughs> that I follow, but also kind of hate this kind of thing where it's like my soul is rising up and say, hey, do this. And I'm like, no, that's terrifying. I don't want to do that shit. <laughs> it's like the hardest thing in the world. Stop it. Stop telling me to do this. Uh-huh terrifying things but I did you know I have learned to listen to this, mm -hmm. <laughs> this is, it's difficult right you must know you know you're from your own journey right oh yes <laughs> yes, yes we must listen so to I that <laughs> yes so I listened and I I decided to um to tell the theater I was going to do that's what I was going to write about and then I started to 
organize my sexual healing project. Now it was an art project. So mm. I knew how to make an art project. Hmm. I knew, and you you come from the theater too. You yeah. know, it's like very prescribed yes. how you do this. And in the theater, in the performing arts, there is a, a very strong deadline. There's a performance. You've got right. to get your shit together uh-huh. to get this, you know, so there's that, that push. And I knew that, well, as soon as I started organizing it, I thought, oh, this is going to help because mm. now I was driven by, oh, what's going to be a good scene? Mm. What's going to be a good scene? Um, and it got me out of the fear and it created a bit of distance or enough distance for me to see this as, um, oh, I need to investigate this from different perspectives perspectives is this a marriage issue is this a trauma issue is this a a, a, a lack of education and mm. ignorance about my own sexual proclivities etc anyway so i did that um and in the middle of this journey i just got really angry i mean i was passionate from the get go but i started to get angry about the inaccessibility of mm-hmm. of basic information especially mm-hmm. regarding women's sexuality that it was mm-hmm. so hard to find really basic info um my project continued beyond the beyond this um the 6 months it took to create the theater project and then it was the bulk of it was a 5 year project mm-hmm. um and that i wrote about in my book which is based on the play but even I even though I was so immersed in this for five years, it, it took actually five years to get like to put the uh, an integral puzzle piece hmm. to find an integral puzzle piece. Five years wow. of, of looking and seeing like I saw fifteen different kinds of practitioners. I tried thirty different healing modalities, wow. and even with that immersion, it took me five years to get some critical and basic information, which in this case was that I was in perimenopause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'll took five years <laughs> to get that piece of the puzzle. No one asked me about the fact that I was in my late 40s while I'm doing this project. Nobody mm-hmm. even said, hey, you know, maybe this is related to hormones. And anyway. Wow. So um so I decided to become a sexuality educator. I entered a core a, a whole a, a course mm-hmm. um that has taken me 4 years to do. So I've been um studying through this course but also studying sex mm. for 10 years now. Wow. Um really immersed in seeing clients and I just um I'm now I'm writing about it in different ways including as a script writer. Mm-hmm. Um you know, bringing in my theater background, but I am, um, yeah, I just got very, very committed to helping women particularly, um, but also their partners understand sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why do you, do you know anything about the history of how sexuality got so taboo and so, um, we all got so fearful about talking about something that's very natural. It's very much for most people, you know, there are people I think who identify as asexual 
Um, and so, you know, want to honor that. Absolutely. And I think that for most people, you know, the body is about pleasure. Like that is the physical body. You know, that is, you know, children, when they come out, you don't teach them, you know, the pleasure areas, but they find them at a very young age. And then it's knocked out that that happened to me. I felt like I was very sexual at a very young age, just like aware of my body and pleasure, but it was beaten out of me. It was not beaten, not beaten, like, you know, literally, but it was just like, you know, all of the programming that it's wrong to touch myself, it's wrong to feel pleasure, all of that. Do you have any education about like the history of how that all happened? I don't think it was always like that. I think it, I I don't have um, anything at my disposal that's Mm -hmm. like really accurate historical, Mm -hmm. but I know in a, maybe in a more general way, I think a lot of it has to do with religion, basically. Mm -hmm. I think it's patriarchal religions. I think it's Mm Judeo-Christian religions. Um, Not only, but I think the Judeo-Christian religions, um, they just took pagan rituals, maybe fertility rituals, different Mm -hmm. kinds of rituals that, uh, not just rituals, but belief systems and and spiritual practices that honored female sexuality, especially, especially Mm -hmm. tied to fertility, Mm -hmm. that the the woman was revered, the pregnant woman, the horny Mm -hmm. woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Right. This was revered because it was it was uh it was the survival of the tribe mm. right it was this right going forth with new generations but also it was symbolic in terms of the harvest and all of that and i think that it was these other traditions religious traditions that stamped that out and maybe as a way to differentiate themselves perhaps mm. from paganism mm. Mm. I know in in some readings about goddess traditions and uh, and and more more of these uh, these natural I, I say natural meaning like of nature nature mm-hmm, worshiping mm-hmm. kinds of religious practices uh, I grew up at Jewish as I know mm-hmm. you did mm-hmm. and and I was always taught that monotheism is like, you know, the greatest thing <laughs> mm. since sliced bread that mm-hmm. we differentiated ourselves because we were a monotheistic religion mm. and we destroyed this other kind of paganism with, you know, this God and that God and, mm-hmm. and all of this kind of um, something that was seen as really inferior and even unevolved. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it from the perspective, even a historical perspective of of trying to of Judaism trying to differentiate themselves from these these pagan reli- religions, you are basically stamping out a lot of religious traditions that were honoring deities that were female deities, mm-hmm. not exclusively, but there they were in there as deities because they those deities were linked to again female sexuality female spirituality female mm-hmm. 
fertility. Mm-hmm. So I think it might the problem not the only one but i think judaism really was a a, a big severing of that mm, interesting and then christianity took this and ran with it in ways that were that are downright bizarre you know mm-hmm. mary is a virgin mm-hmm. right 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 yeah and, and she's a married woman right right and it, what's interesting is i think like sexuality when it is i think it's like a most um uh transformational form is spiritual not religious is spiritual it's a spiritual experience when you connect on that level and you kind of open your heart and you you know mix that mind body and spirit and you open yourself and are vulnerable with another person um, it is of spiritual experience. Um, and and we become, you know, to realize that this is the sexuality is a part of who we are. And so we're so if we're wanting to bring it from the taboo, like because to me, how would you define taboo? I would define taboo as as having shame around one's sexuality. Having shame. But I want to just comment on what you just said, because Mm -hmm. it's I think it's so important about this spirituality and sexuality and the way that they are intertwined. Mm. I think that they're from a a female energy perspective, Mm -hmm. they are intertwined. But I think from a a male energy perspective, and this is irrespective, you know, it's not necessarily tied to somebody who's in a female body and who's in a male body. Mm -hmm. But the world we live in, our Western civilization, but not exclusively, is very much about uh, dominated by this male energy. Mm -hmm. And a male energetic system disconnects from the sexual. Because there is, um, I think that when uh, when we're dominated by the male energy, we can't be spiritual and sexual at the same time. Mm. I think that, and this is the reason I believe that male-dominated religions mm. separate. They they um, they have celibacy mm. as a core. As a core practice, because just to be blunt, and this is this is gets to let's be blunt. All right. So I think that guys do people who are in male bodies have a difficult time having an erection and um and being able to think of God at the same time. Hmm. And they created r- religions around this. The fact hmm. that, well, I can't be sexually aroused if I I can't think of God if I'm sexually aroused. So therefore, I have to prevent myself from being sexually aroused. And I also have to create different kinds of um, restrictions and suppressions of sexuality Mm -hmm. so that I don't get aroused. Let's say I don't get aroused by a woman's hair, you know, or some some thighs Mm -hmm. that's coming down the street. So I'm going to control the world around me so that I can be um, in a a spiritual mode. But 
people in female bodies often with more of that feminine energy have a very different experience of the divine. Mm-hmm. For women, I think, or people in female bodies or people, any people, people of any gender, more with more of that female energy, um, they feel that spirituality is inherently sexual and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately in terms of just um, I'm I'm talking anatomical at this point, but I do think that it, it, any, you know, person who identifies as female will have a similar experience. But in the anatomical, you know, the woman receives right during intercourse, the yeah. woman receives the man, you know, it's that action reaction, you know, um, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. and, and just like in that act, a woman in in terms, in, I think for sexual, for sexuality, for sex intercourse to be fulfilling, a woman has to be in a trusting place to mm. open themselves out up to receive, you know, the man, you know, the penis, like, um, just anatomically, but, um, and, and I think that, you know, women, I know I've gone through my own wounding of the fear of being vulnerable enough and feeling safe to really, and I think anyone wanting to go into more of like a spiritual sexuality, has to go in whether you're, you know, male, female, transgender, whatever, you have to be able to kind of toggle in between the receptive and the active and 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 it's like very much a mm. give and take. Um that's what I found is like my most transcendent sexual experiences are in that space where I am giving and receiving and and opening myself up to the awareness of where my partner is at. And kind of like, you know, kind of surrendering, an overall surrendering to that right. experience. Yeah, I think that you're you're so spot on with all of that. I think that maybe that does that does make it um, more synonymous for mm-hmm. us that that surrender aspect of it. Wow. Yeah, and and the male thing that you were talking about about you know how how the kind of patriarchal whole you know turning off of like, I can't love God and be aroused, you know, start to create so much wounding, right? Culturally, there's so much sexual wounding because, because I think sexuality, I feel sexuality for most people is an inherent part of who they are in the body. And so if we stop that, like, right, we repress it, then it comes out in some way. It either, either implodes on the inside or it comes out on the outside in super dysfunctional, toxic, abusive um, actions sexually, which right. just creates all that trauma and that wounding. And what I love about what you're doing is you're bringing it up. Like I would say taboo is, um, wait, tell me again what you said, the taboo, how you defined it. I think it's just being ashamed of our of our Shame. sexual Right. Yeah. Right, just right. being ashamed of our, our sexual feelings, being ashamed. And then I guess inherent maybe in that shame uh, for a lot of people is the hidden aspect of it is that it's hidden. We have to keep it hidden because we're ashamed of it. We're ashamed yeah. of our feelings. We're ashamed of our desires. And 
And I am, I feel really inspired to bring this just like you're doing in your work and your amazing work in the world is to bring it to the light. Because when we bring anything that is held in the shadows up into the light, then we have something to work with. We have, you know, we're able to meet it at a place of, you know, wanting healing, wanting to experience something new and more wholesome, more truly who we are. So how, like, I know you have some ideas about reasons that, you know, sex, that that we have been shamed by our desires. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, so yes, I have these three misconceptions that compound our shame. Mm. And I'm just going to go in, I'm going to talk about them all together, and then I'll go into each one. Does that sound Perfect. okay? Yeah, that sounds great. All righty. So the first misconception is that our desires need to be in line with our values. Mm. Mm. Good one. The second misconception is that our fantasies need to be in line with our values. And the third misconception is that because of shame we might have around desires or fantasies that we can't share these with our partners mm. and that compounds our shame. Yeah. Okay. Go into those. Yes. I want to understand more. So our desires often don't conform with our values uh, and what I mean by that is that sometimes our values are, they're society's values, and they're mm. not authentic to values. So I want to use values kind of in quotation marks here, because okay. many times we've got these values that are given to us by our fa- by our families or by society. And And we believe this is the way that we're supposed to live our life, Mm. to be a good person, to be a good girl, if you're of Mm. that that particular upbringing, a good boy, if you're that particular upbringing, etc. And we may have fantasies that fall outside of what we, our parents thought that we should do. So here's an example of that. When I was starting to date, and especially into my 20s, I was very attracted to people that were not the people my mother wanted me to be attracted to. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I could not reconcile this because my mother kept telling me, this is a great guy, just fall in love with him. What's the, what's wrong with you? He loves you. He wants to be with you. He's a good person. Why can't you just, and then she'd go a step further and she'd say, desire is going to die. Oh, desire is temporary. Mm -hmm. And so it's absolutely irrelevant. Don't go, don't go with it. Don't listen to it. It's going to lead you astray. I should say my mother followed her desire, which led her to my father. And my father could be a bit of a philanderer. Oh, 
So that's a whole, that's a whole other aspect of her bringing her wounds into (laughs) your decisions. Yes, but she did a number on me in terms of being able to find my authentic truth and also my authentic values. Mm. So I guess sort of packed into this, that our desires don't always conform with our quote unquote values is that we want to see if we can find authentic values that align with our desires, Mm -hmm. ethical values, not Mm -hmm. being a criminal in the world or, you know, or yeah. a harmful person, but maybe sometimes we have to adjust things. I mean, the whole, all of what you're talking about, people coming up with this different, different relationship structures, right? Outside of the quote unquote norm, right? Mm-hmm. The values, family values, those mm-hmm. things that may not be aligned with what we actually want and need. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we need to adjust our values um, if our desires are calling us in a different direction. Um, but staying within within ethical bounds, of course, um, right. because it's important not to harm other other people. Right. Not to right. harm other people. So that is the uh, the first of these misconceptions. Mm-hmm. The second misconceptions is uh, sometimes misconception is that sometimes our fantasies or misconceptions that our fantasies have to conform to our values. Now here, I'm going to go a little bit um, a little bit further out just to say that um, our fantasies are not things that we ever intend necessarily to act out. So fantasies mm-hmm. can be a little more wild. Than our right, than than desires that might lead us into right that uh, lead us into action. So when I talk about desires, I'm really talking about things that we we would like to act upon. But with fantasies, these are things that we don't necessarily want to act upon. It's like having a fantasy of you know an orgy, mm. right? Having a fantasy of an orgy, you know, being with your husband and fantasizing that the, you know you're in the midst of an orgy. That mm-hmm. may not be your relationship values it may not be something that you want to do in your relationship but it's um but it uh it is something that is stimulating and so we're allowed to have this in our minds and many people feel shame around this we feel shame that i shouldn't be thinking that right, right. um you know, famously, there are, you know, people have fantasies that um, involve, you know, maybe, you know, some form of, um, you know, something rougher, let's say, than they would, right, than than they would like, mm-hmm. um, you know, to be with, uh, you know, certain kinds of people that are, you know, not the the people that they're, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Uh, people are allowed to to fantasize, I think, about about different things that are stimulating for them, but it is important to make a distinction between what we are going to act act upon in the real world, especially with this ethical guideline, Mm -hmm. right? So that we don't want to harm other people and what we're allowed to just have in our our private little Idaho. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Uh, And two books here come to mind that I, I think help might help people to 
work with fantasies that they might have to elicit those fantasies and to give them, um, you know, some guidance. So one is The Ethical Slut, mm-hmm. which is a, a terrific book about consensual non-monogamy, giving mm-hmm. people ways to engage in that. And I, I think you're going to put those in the show notes yep, as well. Yep, definitely right? put that in the show notes. It's a great book. Yeah. And um, The Ultimate Guide to Kink by Tristan Terramino is also a great book because mm-hmm. kink, of course, is kink fantasies or something, BDSM, these are often things, right, that can fall in this category, right? Oh, I want to dominate someone. I want to, right? I, I want to engage in, um, you know, in something that is, um, I want to think about it. And even the engagement, going back to misconception number one, even acting that out, um, there are ways to do that in a, you know, ethical, consensual way. So right. I think that these books could help with both of these. But freeing people to fantasize about whatever it is that pops into their minds, I think, is important for people not to feel ashamed. Because when we feel ashamed of our desires and feel ashamed of our fantasies and what stimulates us, we we shut off parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm. We we close ourselves down in certain areas. And, and it's like, you know, just like now you don't have an arm, you know, there's, we lose our wholeness and there are repercussions. So we want to be able to have, um, to minimize shame as much as possible so that blood can run through the body breath. Mm -hmm. I'm doing a lot of acupuncture these days. So whatever that is that runs through all those meridians, we want that. Oh, and I was actually, I was working on shame yesterday when, during my acupuncture session, um, we've been doing some very interesting kind of like psychological stuff. This guy's really amazing. And um, yeah, just kind of thinking about shame. What, where, you know, what is that shame that, that I carry? I think that's a good exercise for people to do. Just check in sometimes and say, hmm, where is my, what, where is my shame? What am I ashamed of? Yeah, because that shame is like, I, I even feel that in my body, when I think about, you know, what, what aspects of myself am I ashamed of? And it creates, um, it creates a, a, an atmosphere of guilt, you know, which I think, you know, keeps, even if it's just a thought, it, it creates like a blockage, you know, of energy in my body. And, um, and just saying it's okay to have that thought and I'm still a good person or, you know, with that thought allows the thought to move. And even maybe not even going to, it's a, you know, I'm a good person, but I have this saying that I say, which is even though I feel a certain way or think about a certain way, I still deeply love and accept myself, which is really what we're wanting. We're wanting to be loved and accepted unconditionally. And it starts with us being able to give that to ourselves. It does. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because it is the foundation of our self-esteem, our self-love, our mm-hmm. happiness. It It is like, is our psychological, emotional, psychic, um, mm-hmm. spiritual even foundation to feel that, to, mm-hmm. to feel that acceptance and that love. Yeah. 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 And shame is going to um, pull us out of that. 
Yeah, it really does. And I think it keeps us um, experiencing a life that's fulfilling because, you know, if we have guilt and we feel like we're a bad person because of our thoughts, you know, that is like what keeps us from being really, truly happy because we don't feel like we're worthy of that. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So third misconception Mm -hmm. is that because of the shame that we feel around desires that we want to act out, fantasies that we don't necessarily want to act out, because of the shame around any of that, we don't tell our partners or we feel that our partners are not going to be down with this. They're not Mm going to be game. And so we keep it to ourselves and that can cause now an extra layer of shame because now we're hiding this from our partners. Right. Right. And sometimes, many times it, uh, it, it seeks an outlet, Mm. you know, um, you know, Susie or Tom, you know, goes to bed and partners down in the basement with the laptop, mm-hmm. um, looking at whatever it is that is right interesting to to right. partner Susie or Tom. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. And um, so, I think we we need to kind of test these waters and see Mm -hmm. if our partners might be interested at least enough to maybe explore this in a some small way Mm -hmm. so when I this was uh two years before I met my husband I was dating a fellow and I dated him for a year and we were going to move in together Mm. and and then he he wasn't really very proactive. We were actually going to move in together in the new year. It was getting toward the end of the year, and and uh, I I was I was like, oh, shouldn't we be looking for these apartments? I mean, are we going to move in together in January? I mean, we really should like start our search. And he would he was like, just put this off and put this off. And then it was the end of December. And I said, I'm really confused. I said, do you want to move in together? Because I mean, it's it's almost the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, and then he proceeded to tell me that he really had a strong desire to explore BDSM. And that this has always been a part of his life and that he had tremendous shame around it. And he didn't feel that he could bring it up with me because of my abuse background. Mm, Yeah. And, and so he, he never brought it up. And so, but he couldn't commit to me because he, he was not satisfied Mm. sexually because Mm -hmm. this is really what he wanted this is what was interesting to him. And he was really caught, was really mm-hmm. caught. And I I really felt for him, but at the same time, I was so blindsided because I'm like, what? <laughs> what, what how could this not, 
not come up. We've been together for over a year. You've never, ever talked to me about this. And it was shame. Right. It was just shame. And it's really unfortunate because there are, you know, like the Tristan Terramino, right? Um, right. There, there are books. There's guide guidance for people who want to explore, you know, explore these areas. There are, you know, communities that can support these people, and kink communities particularly can be very, very ethical mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, consensual communities with like really, really explicit consent practices, yes. contracts, you know, yep. like written contracts, because people are playing on the edge and it, with scenes, they're playing with, um, you know, with pain and, and whatnot. And so people really have to uh, be careful if they want to play in that way. And I hope he he found his way to, to a community and these practices, because there are really beautiful ways Mm-hmm. to practice uh, BDSM. He was right. It's not something that I particularly um, am interested, like, except for very mildly, like, or mild. Mm-hmm. And maybe if he had presented it that way, like if we could, could we just like kind of, can you dip a, t- a toe in the water with me? Yeah. Uh, I might have come along. I might have gone along with it because maybe if if there were a way for it to feel safe for me and it wasn't just like, oh, okay. Um, you like know, the full like, 100% right at the beginning. Well, this kind of leads me to a question because I think it takes a lot of vulnerability and feelings of safety to be able to bring something like that up to your partner. So my question is, what is what is the best way to bring a fantasy that you're nervous your partner will reject up to your partner. And then I'd also like to get some thoughts, some of your thoughts about if you're the partner on the receiving end and your partner comes to you with something that is really on the edge for you, how to best receive it. I think that number one, we should trust what we know about our partners. If our partners are very exploratory, like really adventurous people in in that department, Mm -hmm. then maybe we could present it things, you know, a little bit more, um, you know, not extreme necessarily, become kind of like full Monty. Mm -hmm, (laughs) We can can just like go for it and say, um, you know, here's here's something I want to explore with you. But if we Knowing our partners, if we suspect that they may be freaked out, Mm -hmm. um, then maybe we don't present full Monty. Maybe we present something that is a much milder version. Mm. And what I always recommend with my clients in terms of communicating with a partner is that if we start with conversation, it can be triggering for our partners. It can put them on the defensive because sometimes there's something implied by our partners. Oh, you've been dissatisfied. Mm. You're you're telling me I'm bad in bed, and now I'm I'm <laughs> I'm really hurt, and I'm gonna you know like shut this conversation down or mm-hmm. something. But if we can find something and 
I like, you know, something that we tangible that we can present to our partner, like a video mm. or a passage in a book and just say, hey, look at this and tell me what you think. Mm. I think we can include, I'm a little bit curious about this. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what you think and then have a conversation? Right. I and love if that. Get, if you get pushback. And it is very important to you and you know your partner enough to, uh, I'm not saying like be coercive, you know, but maybe say like with the BDSM, Mm -hmm. would you be willing to try this with me? Maybe using something, um, some kind of uh, restraints, like uh, maybe some scarves. Mm-hmm. scarves around the just tying the, your wrists up with scarves mm-hmm. um would you be okay exploring a way to to experiment with that in a way that felt really really safe for mm. you um can we work together to see if that's something that might work for us as a couple where i can bring this desire and you're not just going along because you don't feel you have a choice, but that, you know, there would be something maybe that you could find as well that would feel good because mm-hmm. ultimately it should be something that, um, you know, that feels good for both people or you have a good practice of like, um, like my husband and I, we like sometimes like my night, your night. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. You know, I get to, you know, do anything I want on my night and then his night, he gets to do everything he wants. And then we both feel like, okay, (laughs) that's fun. Yeah, (laughs) it is fun. (laughs) Anyway, that's how I, that's what I would recommend. And then on the receiving end, if, if let's say, you know, your partner comes to you and says, would you ever think about this? I wa- I saw this video and I actually thought it was pretty erotic. What do you think about it? What are any tips you could give someone whose partner has just come to them and said something that they weren't expecting, um, you know, revealed maybe a little something that was um, erotic to them? How, how, what advice would you give or tips or help them to receive that information? Yeah, number one, breathe. Mm-hmm. Breathe, mm-hmm. Right? Because you don't want to just react, especially if you're, right, if you're triggered or this is frightening or disgusting, right? You want to you wanna just breathe because your partner's just revealed, has just made themselves very, very vulnerable in mm-hmm. revealing that to you. Mm-hmm. And people's desires are very delicate because of all the shame yeah and we don't want to shame our partners we we will harm them irreparably or we will throw salt in in very deep wounds and mm-hmm. we don't want to do that to, to these people that we love so we want to we want to take seriously that that our partners have a desire um so breathe, just collect ourselves so we're not being just reactive mm-hmm. and then take in the information mm-hmm. and um, and with compassion. Yeah. 
um, understanding that this somebody has shared something vulnerable with you. Mm-hmm. Um, thank them. Ask them if there's anything else. Give them permission to really talk to you. And feel they need safety here so that they don't feel like you're, you know, shutting this down. And you want to really know. You mm-hmm. want to know if your partner has these desires mm-hmm. because you don't want them to go underground into the basement. Right. Right. So it it's behooves you to to let your partner give them safety, give them compassion and love to to reveal these things. And then you can start to have a conversation around, is there a way to, to, for your partner to express these desires in a way that, that feels safe and even sexy for you? Mm-hmm. Talk about it. What, what would that look like? And it may be something that, that you can do with your partner. It may be something you can't do with your partner. Mm-hmm. A, another reason why consensual non-monogamy or, Right. Or relationship diversity has um, can fulfill something in this department. Right. Can or can offer people a way, a structure for maybe taking some of these these um, desires and fantasies and being able to play them out in a way that um, that can maintain. um, If you want to keep this primary relationship, you know, you can keep that. And um, but also have these desires um, expressed. Right. There's so there's, I talk about it as, you know, designing your relationship, but you can't design it if you don't know all the components, right? And the components are, you know, each partner's desires and needs and wants. And it's, it's big work, Laura. (laughs) It really is. And there are times, I think, especially when exploring these kind of real vulnerabilities, that it may feel uncomfortable. It probably will. And um, I like your advice about breathing. I think that's really important. And then also taking some time to process and assimilate and, and communicate. And and find a way to be able to express the thoughts without making the other person wrong. Which I'll tell you, you know, I'm in, I've been in a relationship for a long time, and that's hard to do sometimes. That's really hard to do. Um, which leads to having compassion and grace <laughs> with your partner because you're all just trying to figure it out and do the best you can. Um, and it's a process of exploration. So uh, these are amazing, amazing tips. Thank you for that. Yeah, and I think you raise a good point too. Sometimes we need to process this on our own. Mm-hmm. I think that's okay to say, you know, mm-hmm. for a partner to like spill their guts. And I, I think it is important to let the partners, you know, tell you the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. it's also okay for you to say, okay, I need to process this. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to talk about it right now, but I, I just really need to take this in mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and then set an appointment so it doesn't get lost. 
Right. And that's an important follow up. Talk about this. Okay. Can we talk about this on, you know, whatever on Saturday when the, you know, when the kids are at soccer or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important part, the follow up, because like, you know, one of the things that I've learned about myself is that I, I know it comes from my youth, but I don't love conflict and I've gotten more comfortable with it, but you know, it's like really easy for me to just continue to go on, you know, in my life and my busy life and not come back to it. So finding that time to come back to it, I think is really important so that your partner, you know, knows and feels like they have been heard and seen. Um, And it's a dance. It really is. It's a dance back and forth of expression and acceptance and compassion for your partner, for yourself. And, um, and then also reaching out to someone like Laura to help you navigate this when it feels like you, you know, you're, you're, it's, you're hitting some sticky points. What is one thing that you could like one tip if someone's like wow this sounds like me i realize i have just trauma dysfunction and shame around my sexuality how would someone begin to even start looking at that within themselves i have a kind of blanket recommendation for people mm-hmm. and this goes particularly for people in women's bodies but not exclusively, not exclusively at all. And that is to, if possible, to carve out one hour a week to have what I call a pleasure hour Mm. where you, you are with yourself sexually and you are there exploring your desires. Mm. And I I'm a big. I'm in. Uh, have. Uh, I'm. I'm bigly. I'm usually in favor. Bigly in favor. Usually in favor of really um, developing this relationship with ourselves. And this is. It could involve masturbation, but it doesn't have to involve self pleasuring at all. Mm-hmm. It's just this exploration of self. Mm-hmm. Um, and. When we can start developing this relationship, then we first we have to have this conversation with ourselves. What am I into? What do I like? Mm -hmm. But it's not a one-time conversation. It's a developing understanding of ourselves. So I have sexual fantasies and practices that I've developed in my own pleasure hour that I keep secret. Mm -hmm. I keep secret from my husband. I don't share them with him. Mm-hmm. I share other things, but some things are pri- I feel are private mm-hmm. and um, and have like secret lingerie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that are that's my eyes because it helps to keep myself to have this relationship, a place I can go to that doesn't feel like it's being. Um, Compromise is the wrong word, but maybe that it's it's being altered by somebody else's um, sexual desires. Mm-hmm. I feel, you know, as a woman, person in a female body, I feel um, like many women, I was brought up, it's, and it's so strongly 
ingrained that my sexual experiences are supposed to revolve around an ejaculation. Yeah. That, that oh, is yes. the point of sex. Yep. I was it's brought so up that way too. ingrained. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I feel that it's important and I've found very, you know, in my own life and work with my clients, it's important to have something that is private and that's not linked to somebody else's pleasure mm. to see what it, what grows in that garden if you don't have right if you don't have to like have something else there and there's a place of course for right being with a partner that's a whole other animal and it's it's i think the fuel for it comes from our our private experiences this developing and uh, ongoing relationship slash development with our own sexuality. I think for people who have quote unquote, or feel they have low libido, it's often because we don't, we haven't nurtured our garden. Mm-hmm. And so we don't believe we have a garden. Mm. And again, as you mentioned, right, this is right. People who um, have an identity feel that they are asexual. That is all, that's their garden, right? Mm-hmm. That's completely legit. That's their garden. Um, but sometimes people want to be sexual, but they don't feel, they feel that they've lost their garden, but yeah. they haven't. It's just that they have intended to their garden. Yeah. I love that. I, you know, that's one of the reasons why I love time on my own. And, you know, because I think when you're by yourself, whether it's in a pleasure hour or any other way, um, like you can take off all the masks right? Of who you think you should be. And you just get to know who you are. And it is a continual practice. It's not a one and done. It's like, I've been doing this for 30 years, like my own spiritual practice of knowing my truth. And I'm still learning because I'm constantly evolving. So having that, that, you know, space to continually check in, cultivate, nurture the relationship with self. And that's the whole idea about relationship diversity is that I never advocate any one relationship structure. I advocate you knowing yourself, cultivating the relationship with yourself first and foremost, so that you know what you want at any given chapter of your life. And so that is, yes. Yeah. And I do want to say that, you know, if you're listening and there is like a mountain of sexual history, sexual trauma, Um, sexual shame is to please reach out to Laura or any someone who can help you um, start to unravel a lot of that. Because I think like, you know, year upon year upon year, shame upon shame upon shame, you get this like big tangled ball of yarn that you need help to untangle. And we'll always shy away from things that are uncomfortable, not always, but most times, you know, we shy away, especially when it starts to get super dark and scary and having a loving coach to help you go into these scary places, I think is essential there to sometimes in my own spiritual growth that there was no way I could look at something without having another loving person saying like, you're doing a great job. I'm here for you. I'm supporting you. It's okay for you to feel the way that you feel. It's okay for you to think the way that you think that is really okay. And that is what I needed to 
go a little bit deeper into it, a little bit deeper into my shame, a little bit deeper into my wounding. Um, so definitely know that Laura Zam is an incredible coach. And obviously, as you can tell from today, she's not really afraid to talk about anything. <laughs> Nothing is off the table, <laughs> which is what I love about you. See, even in this interview, I'm you can't see me, but I'm like, oh my gosh, whoa, we're going there. So, and I, I appreciate that because I, like I said, I think it's important to bring some of these really shadow stuff into the light to bring it out of the shame into the light so we can have a more healed and whole life. So, yeah, well, please reach out to Laura. Anything else that you want to talk about, Laura, before we sign off? I want, I would love for people, I know you have a free guide. I love this guide. Okay. Tell us about this. Like you guys go to Laura's website. Um, tell us what the website is and what the guide is before we sign off. It's my central sensualpotential.com will take you right to the freebie. Um, you can also check out laurazam.com. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and also laurazam.com. You'll, you'll find it there too, but it's a, it's kind of a cheat sheet uh, and it is five simple solutions to any sex problem. Ooh. All right. I'm going to go get that. <laughs> you never stop learning. <laughs> Five simple solutions to any sex problem. Amazing. So you can get that yeah. at my sexual potential. Is that what it is? Sensual. My, oh, my, my sensual potential.com and laurazam.com. And we'll have that in the yeah. show notes. Either place. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Oh my gosh, Laura, yeah. you brought it today. I'm thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And um, everyone, as I sign off, they say, stay curious. And I really mean that on this one. <laughs> so stay curious. Thank you, Laura. Thanks so much for listening to the Relationship Diversity Podcast. Want to learn more about relationship diversity? I've got a free guide I'd love to send you. Go to www.relationshipdiversitypodcast.com to get your sent right to you. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast. You being here and participating in the conversation about relationship diversity is what helps us create a space of inclusivity and acceptance together. The more comfortable and normal it is to acknowledge the vast and varied relating we all do, the faster we'll shift to a paradigm of conscious, intentional, and diverse relationships. New episodes are released every Thursday. Stay connected with me through my website, carriejarislow.com, Instagram, or TikTok. Stay curious. Every relationship is as unique as you are. Are you feeling stuck or unfulfilled in your intimate relationship? Do all your relationships end in the same way? Do you feel like you've lost the spark in your current relationship? Can you never even find one person who you want to explore a relationship with? If you answered yes to any of those questions, are sick and tired of feeling like a failure in your relationships, and desperately desire a different experience, then my eight-week deep reprogramming intensive may be the answer for you. 
In this program, I work individually with you for eight transformative weeks. We'll identify the subconscious programming that's keeping you stuck and shift it to a new affirming belief systems. We go deep, we get real, we get results. This is healing unlike anything you've ever experienced before. Here's what people are saying. Jordan from North Carolina said, more has shifted in eight weeks of working with Carrie than 10 years of psychotherapy. Jane from Sanford, North Carolina said, it's honestly changed my life. And Cassie from Santa Barbara, California said, Carrie's laser precision in helping me diagnose where the stuck energy was helped me make positive movement in our first session alone. Absolutely transformational. I love being a guide and witness to these courageous people who claim that they were done with their past experiences and ready for something different. I'm opening a limited number of spots for 2023 and would love to help you permanently transform your relationship experience. To set up a free 30-minute clarity call where I'll help you uncover your number one block to fulfilling relationships, connect with me through the link in the show notes. You are worthy of experiencing deep fulfillment and love in your relationships. This intensive work will help you get there.